Well, good morning. Um, been a blessing to worship with you guys already. I'm excited to um, briefly open up God's Word and just share a few words about um, Christ and what He's done for us. Um, definitely been the theme of this morning, and I'm thankful to, to be able to share that with you guys. Um, as we begin, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to just pray, um, just ask and dedicate the rest of this time um, to the Lord, and then dive in. Father, we thank you for your amazing wisdom and love in sending us your perfect and holy Son. And we thank you that through your Son's life and death and resurrection that we have new life. Pray that each person in this room would be able to experience that new life today through Christ, um, who has given us his spirit. Um, and we thank you for these things. We ask that as we read your word and talk about it, that you would open up um, our eyes to see your glory, that you would shine your light in the darkness of our hearts and that we would see you and that we would fall on bended knee. Um, we thank you for these things in Christ's name. So what I wanted to talk to you um, today was about um, a, a big word that has a lot of uh, bigger implications, um, and the word is incarnation. Um, I'm sure maybe you've heard that word, or if it is the first time you're hearing it, you're wondering, what in the world is that? Um, but the word is incarnation, and it is at the core of the Christian faith. Um, it's the core of the claims of the Bible and the core of what we believe here at Calvary. But, but what is it? And when we say the incarnation or when we say that Christ incarnated, what we mean is that God took on flesh. It's literally what the word means. God took on flesh, became a man, was born as a baby. And to illustrate that, I wanted to, to read Philippians 2, um, and it's going to be verses... Um, 6 through 11. Um, I have it on the screen for you. Let me read that as we begin to, to understand a little bit more about this word incarnation. Talking about Jesus, it says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One person has said, an author named J.I. Packer, says that the incarnation is more fantastic than anything that's ever been written in fiction. It is the most mind-boggling, incredible, fantastic statement in reality than anything anyone has ever dreamed up or written or tried to, to write down. And he didn't say that to say that it was fiction. We believe, in fact, it was very true and is reality. But think about it. God becoming a man. The highest of kings in a, in a lowly, humble, stable manger. Born of a woman. It's preposterous. It doesn't make sense. It leaves us asking the question, why? For what purpose? To what end? Why would God do that? Why would the people in this room, why would we believe something like that? Why would we uh, hold on to that as a core tenet of our faith? 
And so I wanted to talk a little bit about Christmas from Jesus' perspective. And, and what we have in Philippians 2 is actually more than likely the, one of the first hymns of the early church. And this hymn talks about the Son of God. And it talks about him being in the very form, being in the same nature, being God. Read what it says next, if you wouldn't mind flipping back to that previous slide. Oh, thank you. Did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. He did not hold on to the dignity or the, the glory, if you will, that came with being God, but rather it says that he actually emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So a couple things to understand about the incarnation and what it is, and then we'll talk about three implications and wrap up. The incarnation is a matter of addition, not subtraction. Let me say that again. The incarnation is a matter of addition, not subtraction. What I mean by that is the Son has existed forever. When Jesus was born in a stable, that was not whenever he came into being. That is not when the Son of God came to life, as it were. The Son has existed entirely co-eternal, and co-equal with the Father and Spirit for all eternity. Before time was a thing, was God. Three in one. I can't unpack that this morning, much less over the course of my lifetime or yours. But it's the message of the Bible that there's three persons in one, God. And the Son of God, the second person of that Trinity who's existed forever, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father and Spirit through the, the harmony of redemption in their own divine counsel, in God's own abundant wisdom and mercy and love, out of a desire to bring glory to himself, God sent, the Father sent his Son to be born of a woman. Isn't that crazy? It's fantastic. You couldn't write about something crazier, you couldn't think up something more unimaginable that God would become a man. And whenever the Son, the second person of the Trinity, came in flesh, whenever He incarnated, through this incarnation, it was not a, a matter of subtraction, but of addition. What I mean by that is that He didn't become not God. He didn't cease to be God. He did not cease to be royal Worthy, all-powerful, all-knowing. But he robed himself, he clothed himself in the same skin and bones that you and I have. With the same blood coursing in his veins. Deity added to it, the Son added to himself, humanity. And that makes all the difference. In the world. If you believe that God can become a man and has become a man in the person of Christ Jesus, it is a small thing for that same God man to raise from the dead. 
And so you see why it's so important for us Christians. You see why it's the message of the Bible that this son would become human. So it's a matter of addition, not subtraction. He didn't count it a thing to be grasped. He didn't ostentatiously grab for the glory that was rightfully his. Rather, for a season, for his years here on earth, he actually chose to humble himself. Church... And those who are visiting this morning, I want to tell you that we have a humble king. And instead of getting all he could that was rightfully his and will rightfully be his for all eternity, instead of that, it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Surely you'd think that if this God, the second person of the Trinity, would become a man and incarnate and take on flesh, that he would have a luxurious Wonderful, splendid life. But anything but. Though he had a perfect life, a sinless life, he suffered. He had the same sweat falling down his face that you and I do from hard work. He experienced loss. He experienced tears. He experienced aches and pains. He experienced the brutality of abandonment, of betrayal. He experienced the cross, pain. He wasn't impervious to it. Actually, he, he subjected himself to it for my sake and for yours. And so the incarnation is, is essential to what the Bible calls redemption. So what the Bible calls God's story of rescuing a people for himself to the praise of his glorious grace. And how did he choose to do it? The son became a baby. It's incredible. Not only that, but as he found himself, as it were, or as he saw himself being born in the likeness of man, as an infant growing into a toddler, into a teenager, into a man growing in wisdom and stature, says he found himself in the likeness of men and it says not only that but in his human form he actually humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross that is the God that I am holding out to you this morning whether you've been in church your whole life or whether a friend invited you and we're so glad you came with them I'm holding out to you a man who is God, who chose a path of humility. Who loved you and I so much to live a life of servanthood, of washing dirty feet, of loving pitiful strangers and evil men and women He got close to them. He smelled like them. He ate with them. He loved them even to the point of death. And that's what we celebrate this morning in the person of Jesus. That's what the incarnation is. God becoming man. And so I want to close by talking about three implications of the incarnation, all right? Three implications of the incarnation. Um, I'd love to give them to you in images, if I can. Um, So if you would think with me, 
out of darkness, light. So one of the implications of Christ coming in the form of a baby is once there was darkness, now there is light. And I can explain this darkness, but, but I know if you're sitting in this room, you've felt it. This world, before Christ's coming, prior to this manger scene, prior to this announcement of the angels and this gathering of the shepherds around this baby, was utterly bleak and dark and dismal. Like I said, I don't have to explain that to you. You know what the darkness feels like, don't you? You felt the sting of death. You felt the loss of relationships. You've experienced life in a broken, messed up world. You know the darkness of your own heart. You know just how bad humans can be and what they are capable of because of our self-worship and because of our rebellion against God. Each of you feel that darkness as, a, as if in a cave where it just surrounds us and we can't shake it off of us. We can't get out of it. We don't have light in ourselves is the message of the Bible. In fact, it says that there's none righteous, not even one. We're all in darkness. We're all dead in sin. Sin being our corrupt, sinful nature our thoughts that are evil and contrary to God's will, our actions that are disobedient, our words that cut people down and create division. Out of darkness, light. That's the first implication of the incarnation. Where totally bleak situation exists where complete darkness has overcome the world, where we think all might just be lost, and it was, God became a man. And so out of darkness we have light. John said that he who was with God and is God, the word actually became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says, we have seen his glory, glory that could only be as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. He came with so much light. He came with so much brightness. He came with so much grace and truth that he pierced through our darkest night. He pierced through our suffering. He pierced through the darkest cave with an amazing light that will change the world, that will change your heart and mine through the grace of our God. Where once all we knew was this darkness, now something's here that the angels could celebrate, that the shepherds could run and find this baby that the wise men had to worship and yield homage to and bow down before because they said, the light has come. Isaiah actually talked about this, this light years centuries prior to his coming. And you know what Isaiah said? He said, those dwelling under the gloom of darkness will see a great light. Those who are under the shadow of death will see a light. And that light will lead them in the path of peace. He says that light will shatter the, the burden that's been on their shoulders, shatter the sin, shatter the suffering, shatter the, the grave that's been over them for so long. And you know what he says next? Next, he says, how's that going to be done? He says, for unto us 
a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And this son is so full of light that he has an eternal government that will be on his shoulders. Strong, powerful, just, and righteous shoulders. And it says that we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the first implication that I have for you this morning of the incarnation is that out of darkness, light. Isaiah promised it would come. John the Baptist foretold it. And Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, was that light. And you know what John also says in his gospel? He says, and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you believe that? The song we just sang, Behold, says the darkness could not contain it. He was so bright and glorious and perfect and good that the darkness still has not won And we have seen a a shining, a glimmer of that light. But one of the things that we look forward to, church, is to full light, to a new heaven and a new earth, that he is the sun and it is perfect light. And we cannot wait until death is swallowed up forever. And we cannot wait until all of our suffering has ceased. We cannot wait until the presence of sin is gone forever. But we rejoice because this morning out of darkness has come light. The second image I have for you is one of rags to riches. I think we all love to watch a good movie or read a good book about someone who has just been born in the pits and has risen to the place of a prince, king, or queen. So many storylines, so many plots are centered around that idea of of rags to riches. But I want you to know that our rags to riches story didn't start with us. And it actually started quite ironically with a riches to rags story. Christ, who was very nature God in the very form of God, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant to the point of a slave, obedient even unto death, where he actually gave up his riches, the riches of glory, so that we full of rags and shame, could be clothed. It's an amazing truth. Let me read it to you verbatim from from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know the grace of our Lord that he who was rich for our sake became poor so that through his poverty, through his rags, through those swaddling clothes, through, those, through the, the sins that were placed on him at the cross, he took on our shame, he took on our sin and bore the full weight of God's wrath on that wooden cross so that he could dress us in righteousness so that he could give us his righteousness, so that he could give us wealth and riches and grace and mercy and wonderful peace that we would never have otherwise. Riches went to rags so that you and I could go from rags to riches. And it's not 
fair. It doesn't make sense. But it is one of the implications of the incarnation is that you and I don't have to live in our poverty anymore. Like Adam and Eve, we've sinned and we try to cover ourselves up with all kinds of things. We try to say, here God, take this. I'll go to church every Sunday. Or take this, I'll read my Bible. Or take this, I'll be nice to people in line. Or take this, look at my family. Surely this is good enough. But I want to tell you this morning that none of your, nothing you could say, nothing you could do is righteous enough. Only through the riches and the righteousness of Jesus Christ can we be saved. Only because of this riches to rags story can you and I actually be clothed with what we need to stand before a holy God. And the message of the Bible is very clear that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, anyone who trusts in Jesus as the Son of God incarnate and the Son of God crucified, the Son of God raised from the dead, that person is given new life. That person is given forgiveness. That person is granted the very Spirit of God. That person is dressed in the the riches and the righteousness of Christ. So when God sees them, he no longer sees the rags. He sees the riches. And surely in Christ we have been given abundantly more than we deserve. Amen? There's a couple. Thank you, guys. If anyone was visiting with us, I think we weren't allowed to say amen. Not only out of darkness, light but we actually have gone from rags to riches. That's an implication of the incarnation for those who have believed in this son. And another side note, I guess I could add, um, in, in that 2 Corinthians passage I mentioned, whenever he talks about Christ who gave up his riches to become poor so that in his poverty we might be rich, he actually is using it as the motivation for our generosity. And so church, I want to remind you that if you've gone through this Christmas season and you still haven't figured out that it's not about what you get, it's what you give, then you're doing it all wrong and you're teaching your kids to do it all wrong. The gospel is not a a grubby story of how I can get more. The gospel and the incarnation is a story of how can I give more and more. And because we have received this wonderful love from God, we show that wonderful love from God. So church, please don't be too busy to see your neighbor in need. Please don't be too busy to see that there is something more important than Christmas trees and presents. That we've actually been called to this gospel and in this gospel we can actually give what we have received. We can show kindness. We we can show grace. And truly it was Jesus who said that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then finally, the third implication is is that not only out of darkness light or from rags to riches, but the third implication is that from clenched fist to bended knee. We go from clenched fist to bended knee. If my wonderful people in the sky could advance that slide. The angels are up there, I promise. One of those sweet little girls is about to hit the button. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not good with the clicker. I'll read it to you instead. Somebody holler if it shows up. It says in that second part of this hymn of Christ in Philippians 2, it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The third implication is that we go from clenched fists to bended knees. And maybe you're sitting in this room and your fists are so tight right now because you are just so mad. Or you just think, I can get there on my own. Or I could just do this by myself. Or perhaps you've lost someone and you're wrestling with a very valid question of how could God do that? Or because he is good, how could this be present in the world? But one of the the implications, one of the things that we see and can now have through the incarnation of Christ is we can actually go from clenched fists to bended knees. And here's the part that I want to invite you to. This description of, of every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and every knee bowing is one that will happen. Every knee in this room and around the world and through the, the, the halls of history, the greatest of men and women who have lived and, and died, everyone in this room, every one of our knees will bow to King Jesus. I'm just a simple boy from Kentucky inviting you to do that today. You're going to do this. You will bow before King Jesus. You will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. The invitation of of Christ's gospel, the invitation of this book and Calvary Baptist Church of Simpsonville is come and adore him. Come and bend those knees right now. Sing the song of Emmanuel now while it's still sweet on your lips. Because one day it will not be in sweetness that you sing it. It will be in judgment. Because the reality is that the Son of God has become a baby, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and risen again so that all who believe in him will have life. But the Bible also says that those who have not believed are condemned already. You're still in your darkness if you haven't experienced the light of Christ. You're still in your rags if you have not embraced and trusted in the riches of Christ. You're still holding on. You've still got clenched fists if you have not bended on your knee and said, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So I invite you to do that today. So maybe you're visiting or maybe you've been here a thousand times. I would love to invite you to come and sing the song of Emmanuel. That God has come to be with us and that he has brought with him light and riches and glory and he is the only one worthy. And he is the only one who is glorious and deserving of praise And you will bow down. I will bow down. And I would love that to be in this life before the next. Because for all eternity, that is what we'll be doing. Some people get really clever about what they're going to be doing in the new heaven and new earth. And I can tell you one thing that the Bible says for sure. Endless ages of hallelujahs to the king. 
who had mercy in his eyes and came running for us. Sick and weary and dead sinners. But he came out of love. He came through humility, through the incarnation, so that we could have everlasting life. That's good news this season. And if that's good news that has not taken root in your heart today, come on. Maybe you're saying, I still have clenched fists, Jeremy. Come on. Say, I don't have anything to give. I'm still in my rags. What would God have to do with me? Trust me, none of us brought anything to God. None of us had any righteousness, anything, any merit, any worth, nothing on our own. But we came. And in his mercy, he's clothed us. In his mercy, he's fed us. And he's invited us to the table and and has set a meal before us. It's a gift, so come on. I'd love to talk to you about it. The person who invited you would love to talk to you about it because it's good news and it's changed our lives. So as maybe you're visiting or maybe you've been here and you're, you're contemplating that gospel message and responding, as you're thinking about that, I would just love to, to speak to the church, um, those who have trusted in Christ real quick. And I want to just maybe go back to that side note. Maybe you're like, I've, I've heard about the incarnation. I've, I, those implications are great, Jeremy. But I just want to invite you guys, slow down. Just stop. Just pause during this season and do not get swept away. I'm sure you've heard the quote that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. Well, he makes me sin and he makes me busy. But this is such a time where you can get so busy and so wrapped up in everything else that you forget the one thing that's needful. Bending low, worshiping at the feet of this king. Not only that, but those who have received this light, it says that God is light and we have come to know this light. Shouldn't our lives just be reeking? Shouldn't our lives just be so bright with splendor as we go out shopping or when we go to family dinner or whenever we visit those who don't know Jesus, shouldn't we just be exuberant with this love and this kindness that God has shown us? Shouldn't we be willing to to step down as Christ did? We're not God, so it's not a very far jump. But he being in the very form of God actually became a man and then a servant and then obedient to death. Like surely you and I can, can humble ourselves to our family members, to our loved ones, to our kids, to the people that are right beside us. Don't just rush past them. See them in the image of God and love them and share with them this light. Out of these riches, we are the most blessed of people. If there's anyone who can celebrate this Christmas, it's us. And it's not because of what we've gotten under the tree. It's because of what we've gotten through the cross. So share that. Be generous. Give. Don't count up all the things you're going to get or the time you're going to be able to spend on yourself or the time you're, or the things you're going to eat. You know, the, you know, like I do, the list that can just pile up. Plan to give. Plan to incarnate yourself. Plan to humble yourself this season and give to others. And then finally, maybe you're, maybe you're a believer, maybe you know Jesus, and you're like, my, my fists aren't clenched, but my knees sure aren't bent. That's why I just said stop. Just slow down. Don't forget what's most important, to worship at the feet 
of Jesus. That's the good portion. It's the one thing that's needful. It's the one thing that's worth it. So worship at the feet of Jesus. So that's my invitation to you, church. And, and if you are thinking about that um, invitation of the incarnation and thinking about um, that good news that I shared with you, I would love to talk to you afterwards or anyone else would. Um, I'll be up here. Um, I'm going to pray and ask God for um, grace, but also just hearts of joy as we um, continue to sing. And then Brother Don is going to come and he's going to sing A Holy Night. And then on the last stanza, uh, we're going to join him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your sweet love and mercy poured out in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that your son became a baby, was born in a manger, and lived and died and rose again so that we might have life. I pray for anybody who's here that doesn't have that life and they're just peeking in the window. I pray that they would come in and feel the warmth and feel the joy and the peace that can be had in Christ. I pray for this church uh, in this season that they would be mobilized, that we all would choose humility, have this mind in us that was in our, our Savior Christ Jesus, that we would look for ways to condescend this season, that we would look for ways to be humble, to give up of ourselves. And I thank you, Father, that in your wisdom and in your kindness, and as it should be, you have exalted Jesus, and you have given him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, he is the one do the glory and do the praise and the worship of this church and for all eternity. So turn our hearts to that end. Soften us, turn our clenched fists into knees that are bent and, and mouths that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even as we sing about Christ being the Lord, I pray that in our hearts we would fall on our knees because you are God, the God who became a baby. We pray this.